Coming up on Mayo Clinic Q&A, it's time to Ask the Mayo Mom. It's been over two years since the COVID-19 pandemic began, and this has put a great amount of stress on kids and their families. Today, we'll look at how parents can cope with the ongoing pandemic and answer questions about the different variants and the latest on vaccines for children. Messaging and how we communicate with folks about vaccine really depends on, on where they are. I think folks that are just looking for reassurance about safety, we can really point to the robust process that we have in, in this country and elsewhere to evaluate vaccines and to the safety data that we have already and how well it's working. Hello, I'm Dr. Angela Mackey and welcome to Ask the Mayo Mom on Mayo Clinic Q&A. I'm a pediatrician at Mayo Clinic Children's Center in Rochester, Minnesota and host of this show about pediatric health topics. We are now two full years into the COVID-19 pandemic. And as I joke with my family, 2021 was the year that COVID-19 didn't end like we all hoped. COVID-19 infections continue to soar. And in this most recent surge, pediatric infection rates were of particular concern for pediatricians across the country. Parents of children younger than five years of age are feeling especially concerned as vaccines have not yet been approved in this age group, but hope may be coming soon. Today, we will be talking about COVID-19 and answering all your questions related to pediatric infections, vaccinations, and the impact that this pandemic has had on children and adolescents. Joining us for this discussion is Dr. James Gainsbauer, a pediatric infectious disease physician at Mayo Clinic Children's Center. Dr. Gainsbauer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, pleasure to be here. How are you doing? I mean, I mentioned we're two years into this pandemic, and as a pediatric infectious disease physician, you guys have been very busy. It's, it has definitely been a, a busy couple of years, uh, and I think, like everybody, we're uh, you know looking for some sign that that the end uh, may be coming someday. But uh, it, it, doing well, and I think all of us in infectious disease would acknowledge that that it's really the frontline folks that have 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 had the the hardest go and and just been stuck in every day. So uh, we're we're all keeping on. Yeah, we're all in this together. And you know, you know, it's been hard for a lot of people. And I, I think one of the things we're going to get in here today to talk about, especially is the impact that it's had in our children and teens. You know, we keep we keep hoping that there's going to be an end, but um, this is going to be something that we start to um, we start to live with. Um, but we we do need to acknowledge how it is affecting them and what are what are things that families can do to kind of help support their children during this yeah. time. Yeah, great. So I'm especially excited about that topic, but first, um, we need to start with getting an update. You know, we've we've been still in the midst of this most recent Omicron surge, um, and what has the trend been with with cases overall, with cases with pediatric patients? Um, share with us what you what you know. Yeah, so I mean, I think a lot of people kind of follow this fairly closely, and we'll know that the last uh, month or month and a half have been pretty remarkable that uh, this far into the pandemic, we've actually had more cases than than at any other point in the past. And that, that's been true across the board, but particularly in pediatrics. Um, in about the middle of January, we were uh, well over a million documented pediatric cases uh, in a week. And that was about four times or more than four times higher than we'd had at any other point in the pandemic. Um, he, most places are seeing a little bit of a decline in that and, and where 
Omicron has kind of gone through, we have seen that, you, you know, when we get to a peak, there's a relatively quick drop off again. And so we may be seeing signals of that. The last uh, count by week was about 800,000 cases down from 1.1 million in, in pediatrics. And we're waiting for the data this week, which should be even lower. Um, there's always a little bit of a lag between the number of cases and those coming down and some of the, the, the you know, other indicators we follow like hospitalizations, um, but there is a signal that they may be decreasing uh, for kids as well. There's some later phenomenon that we can talk about things like multi, uh, uh, you know, system inflammatory disorder of kids that uh, can follow several weeks after those peaks and so we'll be watching for those but, but hopefully in the next month or so, we should see the Omicron wave really start to, to settle out and, and hopefully be in a better place but it has absolutely been a very difficult uh, winter so far. Yes, uh, I would concur with that in our house as well. <laughs> I, I know it's been a challenge um, for a lot of families and a lot of a lot of kids as well. Um, what do we know about Omicron and the symptoms that it manifests with um, versus, you know, previous um, uh, variants of, of COVID-19 like Delta and Alpha yeah. and Beta? Yeah, a couple of things uh, stand out. I think that, you know, as we've seen with, uh, with adults uh, as well, the Omicron does tend to cause a, a more mild illness in many children. And, and so, um, you know, we have seen higher rates of asymptomatic infections being diagnosed and milder infections. Um, but we've also seen some unique features that, uh, that may set it apart a little bit from some of the other uh, uh, types that, that have come through. There's been a little bit more cases of kind of croup-like illness mm -hmm. where like kind of a barky cough or difficulty breathing because of swelling of the airways. And, and that's been, it's not the most common manifestation by far, but has been a little bit more common. Similarly, uh, a bronchiolitis, uh, which is kind of inflammation of the larger airways is something that you know, we haven't seen as much of with some of the other types, but Omicron tends to cause a little bit more frequently. And that can look like some of the other viruses that we've had. And then lastly, there's been, you know, maybe a little bit more gastrointestinal symptoms mm. with, you know, so some kids just having only things like vomiting or diarrhea as, as their only symptom. But, but, you know, overall, I suppose that those things have stood out a little bit, but you know, the cough and the congestion and the sore throat, those have really remained the most common symptoms and those, the symptoms that people really should be on the watch for. Okay. You just mentioned uh, MIS-C, the multi-system inflammatory uh, disease that we see in children following infection. Um, do we tend to see that as much in children that have been vaccinated um, versus non-vaccinated or does it not really matter? Yeah, I think the, you know, we're still waiting for kind of, uh, you know, firm confirmation on that, but, uh, you know, it is a sequela of having an infection with, uh, with COVID-19. And so because vaccines pre can prevent some of those infections, you know, we are seeing fewer cases among kids that are vaccinated. Um, it's a pretty complicated uh, condition and we don't understand exactly all the phenomenon and many of the kids are getting it after an asymptomatic infection. And so the impact of vaccine on MISC is, is something that we're still studying fairly closely, um, but certainly is another reason to, to seek out vaccine because it, it is going to be less common in those kids. Well, that's the perfect segue. Let's start talking more about vaccines. Um, my favorite topic, uh, especially as listeners might know. So <laughs> probably one of yours as well. For sure. <laughs> um, so 
vaccines are available in what ages right now? Um, and we'll, we'll go through the details just to, so people can understand like who needs boosters, who doesn't, who needs a third dose. Yeah. 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 So, so vaccines right now in the U S are available for, uh, for all children uh, over the age of five. Um, and we've seen, you know, that kind of March downward in, in age um, with, with the kind of different approvals over time. And, and uh, a couple of different vaccines, primarily the, the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. But right now, everybody over the age of five is eligible for, uh, for a vaccine. There are still some subtle differences um, in the booster shots and, and, and those things that uh, you know, separate out uh, um, by ages. But we can talk a little bit more. But the, 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 it's a big picture is that everybody over five right now is eligible for a vaccine. Okay, what's the difference between a third dose and a booster? Yeah, this is it's a great question and actually causes a lot of confusion mm -hmm. because a lot of people say, oh, I got my booster or I got my third dose as kind of the, uh, you know, meaning the same thing. Um, the third dose is really technically part of the primary series now so that um, we, what we've seen as we've been evaluating the protection that the vaccines give is that certain individuals, and those are the ones that, that have, you know, problems with their immune system or receiving treatment for cancer or have transplants or other reasons to have a weakened immune system, they're not responding quite as, as well to that primary two-dose series that we started with. And so for those folks in those categories, we're recommending a third dose of the primary series. And so that would be, um, you know, for, uh, for example, for Pfizer vaccine, you would get one, the initial dose and the second one, uh, you know, uh, four weeks later, and then the third one, four weeks after that, um, or sorry, three weeks later, then four weeks after that, um, so that you get them all in, you know, in that time frame, And then, that still is different from the booster. And, and so the boosters right now are recommended for everybody uh, in the US over the age of 12. And so if you are in the category of someone who needs to get three primary doses, you would get those three, and then you'd be eligible for your booster five months later. And so some of those people will get four doses, uh, three primary, and then the booster uh, to be up to date. And some people who don't have that you know, immune challenge will just get the two primary series and then the booster later on. This is probably going to continue to evolve over time. And we've been really working on changing the terminology uh, uh, from fully vaccinated, which can be fairly confusing, to up to date uh, with, uh, with vaccines. So right now, up to date would be everybody who's uh, uh, eligible for a booster that, you know, that, that if they've had it, they're up to date. Okay. Um, what do we know about like, the boosters and why they are important? I mean, are they offering better protection? And do we know much about the protection offered with Omicron? I know it's hasn't been around that long yet. Yeah. yeah, so I think the boosters are really driven by maybe two things that have happened and they happen over time after somebody is, is vaccinated. One is that you get a, a, a peak of antibodies and, and the, you know those are what we think are protecting folks against infection. And those tend to diminish again over time. And so over several months, the level of antibody that people have after their primary series goes down. And the other thing that's happening sort of simultaneously is that we're getting new variants and um, each of those variants is then you know, it has a slightly different shape and the way that the antibodies react to that. And so 
the booster really accomplishes sort of, you know, fixing both of those problems and that you will get the antibody levels to come up, but also you're kind of training your immune system uh, again in a way that allows it to deal with those variants better. And so we've seen that, you know, people started to get COVID again after their primary series, um, but that when you give that booster, their protection, you know, their, their susceptibility to infection goes right back down to where it was after that, you know, primary series. Okay. Um, the latest news is that uh, Pfizer has recently submitted to the FDA um, their um, research of the vaccine of children less than five. My, uh, my text messages were like, just coming in that day from all my friends who've yeah. just been anxiously waiting for news of when their child can get vaccinated. Um, so what do we know about that so far? Yeah, again, I, I think we're all very excited. And, and, and obviously, you know, those of us with small children, you know, that been struggling in schools and getting sick and the numbers that we've seen have really made people eager to, to be able to protect that, that age range. Um, so this is very exciting. Um, you know, the, the, the process is sort of continuing along its usual route where the company, the Pfizer, has conducted several trials, including this most recent clinical trial that, you know, has given them confidence in the safety and the effectiveness of the vaccine. And then they submit that to the FDA and the FDA will evaluate it and then pass that on to the, the CDC and the uh, Committee on Immunization Practices, and they'll give us our formal recommendation. So we're still waiting for their uh, evaluation of, of the vaccine and, and a few steps that uh, are ahead really to make sure that we're making the right decision. But uh, it's certainly exciting that it's moving through that process. I think a lot of people who are following this closely will be aware that um, there are still some questions about uh, whether this vaccine for young children is going to need a three-dose primary series, a lot kind of what we talked about before, that perhaps young children um, are going to need three doses to get to the, you know, the level of protection that, that we'd expect. And the verdict is still out on that, and, and it's a little bit uh, of a, a unique way to start that process based on what we know about the two doses, acknowledging that by the time it gets through that process, we will, we should know whether a third dose is going to be necessary. So it's a little bit of a head start, but, you know, I think everybody should be reassured that it's still following this very rigid, robust process for, you know, judging how safe the, the, the vaccine is and how well it works and, and how we'll best use it in the, you know, in those younger children. Yeah, absolutely. What do we know about um, vaccine rates or what we call vaccine uptake amongst eligible children across the United States right now? I know um, in my practice, it's a mixed bag. Some families are really um, very excited to get their child vaccinated. They're coming in for their boosters um, and other families um, continue to um, have concerns or um, are holding off on the vaccine. Yeah, it's, it's, and, and we've definitely seen that, uh, that, you know, the, the, the rates among, uh, you know, teenagers, uh, you know, are creeping upwards to, you know, 60 plus percent, the rates in, in the six to 11 year olds are still around 40%. So a long way to go. And then, you know, there was a recent study by the Kaiser Family Foundation looking at, you know, the, the rates of people eager to get shots mm -hmm. under five, and that's about 30%. And so people are certainly, um, you know, taking their time about, you know, kind of 
coming to grips with this being a new vaccine and and understanding uh, the science behind it, the safety behind it, and and so I agree. There are you know folks that are sort of across a spectrum uh, in terms of their readiness to to accept vaccine from like I can't wait, I want to be first in line mm -hmm. to um, you know to folks who maybe are willing but looking for a little bit more information and and concerned about the newness uh, of the vaccine and then obviously there's a lot of folks that are a little bit more entrenched uh, about vaccine um uh, in general and and you know would maybe take that same approach with uh, with their children you know our messaging with you know I, I think and how we communicate with folks about vaccine really depends on on where they are and so i think folks that are just looking for reassurance about safety can you know we can really point to the robust process that we have in in this country and elsewhere to evaluate vaccines and to the safety data that we have already and how well it's working and and we can also add to that you know what we see is the benefits of a vaccine in terms of keeping kids uh, healthy and, and out of the hospital uh, as we talked about but also really allowing folks to get back to you know to school and, and be healthy there and keep their teachers healthy and you know that there are those benefits um, and i think we'll probably see that group of people just looking for a little bit more information uh, you know come on board fairly quickly it's a different challenge when we talk about folks that are a little bit more entrenched uh, or or more wary about vaccines and um you know the those conversations aren't always easy as you know as a pediatrician but you know as long as we're acknowledging that we're on you know really on the same team in terms of we are advocating for the health of children um you know that keeps the dialogue open and you know trying to help people make you know make sure they're not being uh, you know, given misinformation, which is, you know, a, a, you know, a challenge out there and, and, and being available as people start to, you know, to evaluate data and ma make their own decisions and have follow-up questions. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that's so important um, to acknowledge that parents want the best for their child. We mm -hmm. want the best for their child. Um, and so how do we partner together to exactly. do that? Um, yeah. And, um, one thing that I was in, I don't know if it makes a difference or not, but I would never recommend anything for anyone else's child that I wouldn't give to my own child or that I haven't already given to my own child. And my, yeah. my children got vaccinated is on day three of eligibility. And that's how long it took me to get an appointment, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and so I think um, if, if that helps reassure anybody out there is we, we want to partner with you. We want to have these conversations. So if you have questions and um, and are hesitancy about it, um, that's talk to your primary care provider. They are your trusted person that's been with you since your children's been born, um, and they they have they have knowledge and they want to have these conversations with you as well. So I think yeah. that's really really important. Absolutely. Well, you know, I talked about in the beginning that COVID's been hard. It's been hard for everyone, right? Um, yeah. It's it's been a long couple of years, and it's been really hard on the kids. Um, and the kids, a lot of the kids are not okay. Um, and as a primary care provider, you know, I'm I'm on the front lines with this. I'm seeing a lot of kids that are struggling with their mental health or or other different areas, um, psychosocial aspects of being not engaged in in school and in person learning or other things. Um, what 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 do we know in regards because as, as as doctors we always want to like what is the research telling us you know about what has been the psychosocial impact and the mental health impact that we're seeing on children 
Yeah. Yeah. And th thank you for asking. I, I mean, I think it's important. I think we, we, it's easy to look at numbers and look at graphs that go way up and way down and, and, uh, and start to sort of think of that as the measure of the, the burden of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. But, but uh, yeah, I think as pediatricians, parents, we're really seeing that, that that's not, you know, reflecting the, the challenges that our kids are going through. And, and, and uh, you know, you, you don't have to look very far or look to data to see that. I think most of us can see that in our own families. But, but there is a lot of information out there that, that really kind of, uh, you know, demonstrates what we're all experiencing. Um, and, and I think of those non-infectious impacts in, in a number of categories, and it's unfortunately a fairly long list, but top of that list are, you know, the mental health impacts. And, you know, just as an example of, of some data points to inform that, that during the pandemic, one in, in six children um, has sought mental health um, uh, for, you know, for some reason over these last two years. And, and of those that, that, that haven't, another 10% or so uh, you know, just can't find mental health services. And, and, and that's data from, from Kaiser. There was another study from uh, the CDC that, that looked at ED, emergency department visits for suicide. And, and they're, you know, at, at nearly twice the levels that they were pre-pandemic um, and continuing to rise. And, and, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics has, you know, de declared a mental health emergency during this pandemic. And, and unfortunately, you know, a graph like might come straight down for Omicron over the next month or two, but those things are, are going to last a lot longer. So mental health, I think, is, is, is huge. School performance is another one, too. And I think we've all acknowledged that, you know, how difficult it is for kids to be learning out of school. And we've seen school, you know, performance, uh, standardized test performance at a national level is coming down. Um, and, and this is one of those things that, uh, like many of the other impacts of the, of the uh, pandemic, has greater, uh, you know, burden for, for children living in poverty, uh, children of color have really been uh, impacted, you know, to, to a much more significant degree than sort of the, the children uh, on average. And, 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 and we also see that just looking at socioeconomic impacts. Um, poverty levels have increased from 2019 to 2021, uh, and, and much of that falling in, uh, you know, communities of color. Um, and, you know, much of that has been mitigated by governmental programs that are, you know, always a, a little bit fragile and, and may not last. And so we may continue to see that impact uh, as well as, uh, you know, as people are losing jobs or needing to stay home to take care of kids who are out of school. Um, and, and, you know, the social, the, the, the environment, um, you know, when there's uh, financial stress is, is really bad for children. And we speak of these things that are, you know, adverse childhood experiences that can have lifelong uh, uh, consequences for, for children going through that. And certainly we'll all know that the kids will pick up on the stress in the household and, and, uh, and that that can have a myriad of impacts. And, and then the last thing I think, you know, is not, not the most common phenomenon, but uh, perhaps the most tragic. We've had hundreds, hundreds of thousands of kids who've lost a parent uh, or a caregiver grandparent um, during the pandemic. And again, you know, heaviest burden in, in lower income communities, communities of color. And, and, you know, I just think that the orphaned child to the pandemic really encapsulates uh, so many aspects of the, of, of that burden that doesn't show up in, uh, you know, in case numbers or hospitalizations. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, how can families maybe recognize what are some warning signs or symptoms that, that um, would point to maybe they need to touch base with their kid a little bit longer? Yeah, I mean, I think that's really important. And, and, and there are, you mean, you know, there are a number of resources out there. I just point to obviously your pediatrician, your family doctor is going to be a major resource. The, the National Academy of Science and the CDC, American Psychiatric Society, they all have toolkits and resources that, that people, people can look to, you know, to look for warning signs. And, and those are going to be different. If it's a toddler, it may be, you know, you know crying, not sleeping potty training, regression, um, anger, you know, for an older child, it might be uh, decreased school performance, um, withdrawal from social activities, um, you, you know, kids that are just up in the room on their computer and, you know, aren't engaging in, in, in family activities. And, and, and so I think it is important to, for people to sort of research those warning signs and, and, and keep an open dialogue uh, with with kids and and uh, you know make sure that you know, they're empathetic and, and understanding and are you know that are, are a place that, that kids can come and express their fears and, and anxieties. Um, but again, you know the, the, there are a lot of professional resources out there and, and I think our primary care uh, you know pediatricians and uh, family doctors can can certainly be a great resource for, for those kinds uh, of concerns as they, as they arise. And the last thing I'll just say is that, you know, th that there's plenty of literature that, you know, and evidence that taking care of yourself as a parent is, is also important. And, you know, if we talk about the children picking up on stress in a household that the, they're going to notice uh, the stress that their families are going through. And so taking care of, 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 you know, for a parent, taking care of your own mental health is as important as, as looking after your family and your children. Excellent. Um, I want to share a resource that I found incredibly helpful during this pandemic, and it was actually created by one of our child and adolescent psychologists, Dr. Stephen Whiteside. Um, and you mentioned, you know, taking care of yourself and, and, the, and the stress that children feel. Um, it's called the Family Stress Resource Center, um, and it, you can find it by going to Anxiety Coach dot mayoclinic.org and we'll we'll share that um uh, in our facebook um and and under the um, podcast link but that has a step-by-step -step process of things that you can actually do to make things um, improve and help support your child so not only do they have resources in regards to this helping families through stressful times but they have a whole actually cognitive behavioral therapy approach that's exposure based for anxiety for when you're dealing with difficult um, and disruptive behaviors. Um, and that one's called cooperation coach. So I would really encourage people to go to that, that resource. I think it's fantastic. I've used it myself. Um, Dr. Whiteside's been on our show before and has talked about this, but I just want to add that as one of the other resources um, oh. that, that you listed. Um, it's just, it's, it has step-by-step, -step. you can make your own plan, um, which is really, really great and videos and other things. So I find it's very helpful. Great. What um do you have any um other recommendations that that parents can do to support their their families and their children? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you know, in many ways, I think it um, you know comes down to keeping those lines of communication open, keeping kids uh, engaged, um, acknowledging um, the uncertainties and the fears, um, and acknowledging that uh, you know that. 
you know, those anxieties and fears, um, you know, are, you know, uh, you know, mental uh, illness, you know, that, that they can be, um, you know, that they should be evaluated, should be treated and validated, uh, as opposed to just saying, well, yeah, we're all, mm-hmm. you know, we're all stressed or, or right. that kind of thing. And, 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 and not feeling um, powerless uh, mm-hmm. to, to try to help, um, you, you know, I think, and, and that's, that's going to be true for, you know, whatever age children we have. Mm-hmm. I love that. We all need to be validated, right? You think back to any time that you're feeling down, depressed, upset, um, frustrated, and you want to talk to somebody about it and they start trying to solve your problem. All you want them to do is validate initially. And yeah. so validate and empathize is such an important thing. And I know people are, are sometimes struggling with empathizing because of people feeling so burned out, but empathizing can be a great way to connect with your child. Um, yeah. And that sometimes is all they need. They just need to be validated um, yeah. and, um, and acknowledge that they're struggling and then they, they, sometimes they can move on, especially those younger kids. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think there is a little bit, just sort of cycling back to our discussion about vaccines. I, I think that the vaccines are one measure of control that we can mm-hmm. exert over the uncertainties of the pandemic. And, and I think that can be a useful you know, talking point to your, to your young child who might be a little anxious about mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, to say, you know, we don't really know, you know, sometimes, you know, things are uncertain what's going to happen next. But one thing that we can do to, uh, you know, to take care of, of, of ourselves and give ourselves some control is to, to get that vaccine or to wear that mask or wash your hands. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and there is, you know, good, good evidence that, you know, feeling some control, even if you can't, you know, achieve hundred uh, percent can be very helpful psychologically. Yeah, that's, that's a really, I love that example. Um, and the other thing what it would say to that is when you're telling kids that if they do get sick, just make sure you tell them beforehand that it's not their fault, that they, they were doing everything they can, and they did a great job taking care of themselves mm-hmm. um, and trying to help take care of other people in the process. Um, and so they, you just tell them they did their job well, you know, so yep. I think kids can sometimes feel like they, they let you down if they get sick or, or other things. I know, I know I've seen that in my office. So yeah, I think a lot of people with Omicron because it's so contagious it's that so a contagious. lot of people who who were doing it had, had managed Everything. to yes. stay away for so long are getting it and exactly yeah. right they can you know they're doing the right thing they're yeah. doing their best and yeah, absolutely. Well, we've we've reached the end of our time. Thank you so much for for joining us. Do you have any final words or anything you want to share as we as we close out our our um, session today? No, well, thank you very much for having me, and uh, you know, great to be able to to connect over these questions. I guess I always try to leave some of these discussions with some causes for optimism. Yes, please. Um, <laughs> I, you know, scientifically, I, I think that there is a potential that the Omicron will be the the last worst wave. It's not going away, but uh, you know, COVID isn't going away. But we may be achieving a level where we have enough tools. Uh, and enough strategies and the virus, um, you know, may evolve to the point where, you know, we can start to control it. And so I think if we combine what we know and what we're doing and continue to keep up those efforts, we can actually help that process that, that, that might be occurring biologically and, and, and really, you know, not just see the light at the end of the tunnel, but, but help ourselves get there. Please remember to stay safe, wear your mask and, and get your vaccinations. Have a great day. Mayo Clinic Q&A is a production of the Mayo Clinic News Network and is available wherever you get and subscribe to your favorite podcasts. To see a list of all Mayo Clinic podcasts, visit newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org. Then click on podcasts. Thanks for listening and be well.
We hope you'll offer a review of this and other episodes when the option is available. Comments and questions can also be sent to Mayo Clinic News Network at mayo.edu.